Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you here today. My name is Shane Hughes. I'm one of the ministers here. And uh, if you're here in the auditorium with us, I am glad that you were able to join us this morning. If you're watching us online, I'm glad to have you with us as well. Last week, we, we launched uh, for the first time our restoration vision for 2025. And so if you missed that sermon, if you missed uh, last Sunday, I want to encourage you to check that out on our YouTube channel uh, because that's important information for you to hear. We're going to release more information in the coming weeks about the new initiatives that we're adopting and some of the new directions that we're headed as a church. But in the meantime, uh, if you want that 30,000 foot overview, then you can go to highlandchurch.org slash vision. highlandchurch.org slash vision. And you can kind of, you can read some of the things that we've already began and hopefully where we're headed in the next three years. We're going to be in uh, Psalm chapter 70, uh, excuse me, Psalm 72 uh, to begin this service. But uh, before we jump into that, I want to offer a prayer uh, for the conflict, the war that's happening in Ukraine. If you don't mind, would you please pray with me? Father God, we pray for the leaders of nations to govern with courage, wisdom, and compassion. We pray for the men, the women, the children in harm's way. Please protect them from the encroaching violence. We pray for those who fear for the future. Let your spirit give them hope and comfort. Father, most of all, we pray for peace. For despots and those who seek violence to repent from senseless ways. To lay down weapons and return home. We pray for the courage and will of those who oppose them. And we long for the day when we turn our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks and war becomes an obsolete notion of our unredeemed past. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Prince of Peace, and together the church says, Amen. I've probably been watching more news this week than I do normally. You might have found yourself in that same place this week as you've been looking at what's been happening in Eastern Europe. But something caught my eye. It was a story that I, I couldn't let go of. It's a story of Volodymyr Zelensky. And he began his career as a comedian. In fact, he founded kind of Eastern Europe's version of Saturday Night Live. It was a, a troupe of actors that did skits, a comedy show. And he moved from there to this other comedy show where he played a, a school teacher, a history teacher. And it, one of his students just happened to catch him. Now, again, this is, this is the, the story, um, the, the plot of the, the TV show. Happened to catch him kind of doing a, a viral rant about uh, the, 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 the corruption in his government and how people should be for the people and how leaders should be good. And in this story, because this viral video takes off, Zelensky's character becomes president, kind of unintentionally elected president. And then he asks to rule, lead. And it's, it's a good show. Except what happens in real life is the actor Zelensky is seen by the Ukrainian people as a symbol for something which they want, and then they elect him to be their actual president. Which would kind of be like if we elected Martin Sheen to be our president just because he played the best president in the history of television. 
And everyone thought, this is a joke, and it's going to be a disaster. But history has found the character of Zelensky, tested it, and it is true. NATO offered a couple of days ago to airlift Zelensky out of the Ukraine, out of Kyiv, which happens. Charles de Gaulle in World War II, when France was being um, overrun by the Germans, escaped and went to, to, to England. This, this happens. This happens with leaders all the time. Zelensky said, I don't need your ride. I need your help. And since then, he has remained in the capital city of, of Kiev, Kiev to, uh, to support his people, knowing that the consequences of him being captured will be absolutely severe. What unusual courage. What exceptional character in leadership. No, I'm not trying to make the President Zelensky a Christ figure. I'm not trying to draw that line. What I do want to say is character matters, especially, particularly, in difficult times, even when it looks like you're going to fail and the story is not going to go your way. I think in America, we have this myth of success. We got to look like we're successful. You got to look like you're young. You got to fight time. You got to look like you have money, like you've achieved much, you're productive. And you have to look like you're important, you're connected, you're a celebrity, you're a star. And one of the things that can make you not achieve any of those things is the mere whiff, the mere scent that you are not successful. And so we as Americans have this incredible fear of appearing a loser. Many of us could tell you, I can't, but many of us could tell you who won the Super Bowl for 5 or 10 or 15 years back. Not many of us could list all of the losers of the Super Bowl, despite the fact that they were the second best team in the NFL. It's difficult to do. Not very many politicians run to be president again after losing the election because Americans are afraid of hitching themselves to a loser. And this isn't necessarily a new phenomenon. I mean, Jesus encountered this in, their, in his own life. In John chapter 6, he's already performed the miracle at Cana. He's turned water into wine. He has gathered following. They are paying attention to him. They are following him. His disciples are excited about what happens. But in John chapter 6, Jesus says some very difficult things. Things that would make people uneasy. And the crowds begin to disperse. In fact, even some of his disciples turn away. And Jesus looks at the twelve and he asks them, Are you going to leave too? Because the notion of success was stripped away from Jesus' ministry. And the question is, are you going to hang in when it's hard? Which is why as disciples of the one following the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace. Instead of success, we pursue faithfulness. We're going to do the best we can to take the next right step as best we're able. 
We're not going to worry about the outcomes. We're going to let our hands go of, of the notion of success or failure. We're going to trust that to God. We're just going to do what we see as next, the next right thing. But God doesn't expect faithfulness without encounter. That's clear through the stories of Scripture. Abram encounters God. Abram, God tells Abraham, go to a land that you've never seen. Go to a place that you've never been before, and I will bless you. Moses encounters God. He has that conversation at the burning bush where God sends him, redirects his life in a radical way. Because they encountered God, they're forever changed. Nearly every prophet has a story of an encounter with God that changes the trajectory of their life. Paul on the road to Damascus, Mary in a prayer, Peter on a rooftop, John on an exi- in exile on an island. All of them have an encounter with God, a vision that changes their life. And God never demands be successful. God always expects be faithful. It's the encounter that God desires. Faithfulness is, is the outpouring of that encounter. And so here at Highland, we've developed what we call the pathway. And the pathway is is four things that leads to restoration. They're worship, table, baptism, and cross. The thing that these four things have in common is that they're all sacraments, which is a big like $5 theological term. If you don't know what a sacrament is, it's the means by which God gives you grace. It's the means by which you encounter the, the wonderful nature, the mysterious nature of God. And so that's what we want for you here at Highland. And that's what we expect you to do. We don't need you to be successful. We don't need you to be young or, or, or rich or a celebrity. We'd love to have all the popular people here at Highland, but we don't care. Because that's not the metric that God uses for us. So it's not the metric that we're going to use for you. Instead, what we want is to take your encounter with God and turn it into mission. And the way we encounter God is through these sacraments. A sacrament is just a space where where you have the, the time to think and reflect on what's happened in your life. It's the community where you can talk about something that you can't talk about in any other place in your life. It's the moment where you can drive a stake into the ground and say, here and no farther, I will not go. And sometimes it's a mystic, enchanted moment. Sometimes you meet Christ in the waters of baptism and your life is changed. Sometimes you hear the still, small voice that tells you which direction to go. Sometimes you hear an audible voice or you have a vision. But most of the time, it's pretty mundane. Sometimes it's boring. And this is the way it is. It's like your meals. I mean, I could tell you like the top five feasts that I've had in my life. I could tell you about my grandmother's banana pudding that she would make. She would always make it six hours before we eat so that the, the, the vanilla wafers are the perfect amount of soggy and crispy at the same time. I can tell you about that feast. I can tell you about the first time that I went to uh, Fuego de Chao, which is like a, a meat, all-you-can-eat buffet. I'm, I was absolutely disappointed when I found out there wasn't one in Abilene. It almost broke the deal. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> Because all you do is you go and you eat meat and then you you kind of waddle out and you experience this intense gluttony shame for the rest of the day. But it's an amazing meal. I can tell you about those meals. What I can't do is tell you what I had for lunch like four or five weeks ago. 
I can't even tell you what I had for breakfast like three days ago. But I do know, if I hadn't had all of those ordinary meals, if I didn't have all of that mundane food, I would not have survived between the feasts. And this is how our sacraments work. This is why we gather together on Sundays to observe the Lord's Supper. I love that our tradition experiences and celebrates the Eucharist every Sunday. And sometimes you're distracted as you can be because your phone's buzzing and your mind's somewhere else. Other times in that still quiet moment, you hear something and it inspires you and it takes you to the throne room of God. It's just the way it is. We don't even, at Highland, we don't even need you to be successful at being faithful. We just need you to try. To seek an encounter with God. Because what we're convinced of is if you live in the life of the rhythm of worship, table, baptism, cross. Worship, table, baptism, cross. That the Holy Spirit will change you. And you'll experience restoration. So what is restoration? What is it that God achieves through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, I think, I think Jesus read his Bible. And I think Jesus was aware of, of Psalm 72. It begins in verse 1. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And then jumping down to verse 11. May the kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy. He will save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence. For precious is their blood and his his sight. I think Jesus read that prayer to God and realized that's what it means to be Messiah. This is what it means to be king, a noble king who thinks not of themselves, but looks out for others, looks out for those below them, who will provide justice and mercy, who will take care of those who have not. I think Jesus also was Focus and, and, and shaped by Isaiah 40 through 66, and particularly the suffering servant. It's the king that would lay down their life for the people. In Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, it says, Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we are counted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises, we are healed. Those two texts sit in tension of the purpose of God's restoration. Jesus is the true king who reigns with justice and mercy. Jesus is the suffering servant who will bear the cross and its shame for the reconciliation of humanity. Somehow the person of Jesus embodies both the return of God and the suffering of God. And so the Jewish world had its own sacraments. It had its way of understanding the world. It had its way of understanding what God is doing in, in it. And it's, it's hard to say that these things were the vehicles for God to dispense grace at the time. But what, they were the things that ordered the Jewish sense of identity. And provided the means for intimacy with God. They were time, space, and matter. 
We talked at the beginning of this, sem- uh, this year, I almost said semester because I'm, I'm living in school right now. Um, we talked at the beginning of this year about the creation of the world. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates the universe. He creates the space, and then he creates the water, the land, and then he populates those things with the sun and the stars, the trees and the animals, and then ultimately human beings. But what God isn't creating is this diorama for humans to live in. That's not what the universe is. The universe is God's temple. Because the universe is the only thing big enough to house the glory of God. It's the only thing, the cosmos is the only thing that can contain the majesty of God. In seven days, God doesn't create the world. God creates his throne. And we get to live in it. But the story doesn't end there because God calls his people through Abraham and Abraham and his people end up in exile or excuse me, enslavement in in Egypt. And then they're delivered out of that in Exodus. They're taken through the waters of the Red Sea and then they're given the law. That's still not the end of the story. The end of the story doesn't end until they build the tabernacle. They build the temple, the place where God's spirit can rest. And God's tabernacle later becomes God's temple. It's the place where the people can interact and experience God. God who reigns in the cosmos is located in this place. And you and I, we can go to the house of the Lord. We can experience the presence of God. Temple and tabernacle are the thin space between this world and heaven. The Jewish understanding of the world was marked by time, namely by the Sabbath. That your life isn't just for production. That your worth isn't set on what you make, but rather on what you give in your your time to God. That there is time for you to play and have fun. There is time for you to worship. There is time for you to remember who you are is more than just what you do. Sabbath shapes the weeks and the months and the years. The third is matter. Because God made everything, it's good. Well, Jesus enters into this story as not only the reigning king, but also the suffering servant and redefines all of those things. As Jesus lives and dies, he becomes the temple. He becomes the locus point, that place, that area where heaven and earth connect with one another. And when you experience the thin place, when you experience the majesty of God, what you're coming into is the presence of Jesus. Jesus redefines time. We, all over the world, call this year 2022. Meaning that it's been 2,022 years-ish since Jesus was born. The whole world marks its time on the life of Jesus Christ. More than that, our weeks have been redefined, not only by Sabbath, but by Sunday. On the day that Jesus is raised from the dead is the days that things restart. Our whole system of time is defined by Jesus. And then our understanding of matter. We know that the earth is good and everything in it. We also know that from Romans that the earth is longing to be redeemed. It's groaning for the restoration that God is bringing about through Jesus and us, the church. 
I love it in C.S. Lewis's uh, story, The Great Divorce. It's a story about what heaven is like, what hell is like. And one of the things that happened is, as these people kind of go up in this bus to visit heaven, the, the blades of grass of heaven are so sharp and so hard that they cut their feet on them. They can't walk in the grass at first. They try to pick up an apple, but it's heavier than a bowling ball. They can't pick it up because the experience of heaven is realer than the reality that they know. And the guide to them tells you, just keep going. Just keep walking and you will become more solid. The further you go into heaven, the more solid, the more real you become. And it's true in the story. Eventually those that are traveling to heaven can walk on the grass. Through Jesus Christ, you are able to become the person you were meant to be in God's kingdom. And so here at Highland, we talk about the pathway as the way by which you experience the grace of God. We live into these sacraments of worship, table, baptism, cross. So I know those probably sound, again, it's theological, it's kind of ethereal. I love the ideas. They're sometimes hard to grasp. When we talk about worship, what we're talking about is what's going to happen right here, right now. That when we gather together, this is a moment that's more than just a bunch of people in an auditorium. This is where the church is, and that's where the Spirit is best revealed. Now, if we think that our worship is somehow contained in this one hour, we are fearfully deceived. That our worship happens all the time, everywhere we go, our lives and our service, our worship. But what we're going to see for the next three years, our focus is going to be is that our worship, the grace of that is this is heaven revealed. In the Apocalypse of John, the book of Revelation... John reveals what it's going to look like, what it's going to be when God's presence is fully known. That all nations are gathered together. The differences between us become less important than what we share in common. And it's naive to think that that's going to happen easily or quickly. But we are going to work intensely for it because that is what God is creating us to be. And we're going to talk more about that in the future. When we talk about the table, we're talking about community redeemed. I love what, uh, what we've been working on, and I love the, kind of the revelation that, that small groups are going to help us go. We're going to get bigger and more effective by becoming smaller. 60% of our church right now is involved in a small group, uh, a life group, an adult Bible class, a huddle, or a dig group. Uh, but we want that number to go even higher. That's insanely high for a church our size, but we want that percentage to go higher because we want each of you in a place where you can experience the intimacy of being known in community. And so we're going to create a whole new ecosystem out of our small groups. Some small groups are going to run on a a nine-month-on, three-month-off schedule because that's where your life is. Your, Your life begins in August, it ends in May, and May through summer is so busy and crazy you can't do anything anyway. And so we're going to create groups that that just run on that cycle. And at the end of May, um, you're done. And you may decide, you know, that was a great group. That's what I want to be a part of. We're going to re-up in that group. Or you may decide, eh, it wasn't my fit. It wasn't for me. I'm going to find another group. This allows a steady churn of people so it's easy to get in and out of groups. One of the other ideas that we have kind of bubbling up in this ecosystem is experiential learning groups. That sometimes groups, what ends up happening is we read a book together and then we answer five discussion questions and then we get to eat cake and the cake is the best part of the whole thing. What if instead we practice what it meant to be disciples? And so you're going to go out and you're going to do it. You're going to try it. You're going to give it a shot. 
You're going to take courage and you're going you're gonna to explore the disciplines together. You're going to explore evangelism together. You're going to see what happens when you put yourself on the line. And then you come back to the group and you talk about it. You say, someone's going to come into that group and say, it was amazing. Somebody else is going to come in and say, it was terrible. And they're going to have a chance to share and then do it again. If you've wondered, if you're frustrated by this kind of like, all we do is talk to ourselves. All we do is read a bunch of questions and move on. Then that is the kind of group for you. Do something different that matters. And there are other expressions that we have kind of in the pipe that we're developing. But what we want you to know is that the table is community redeemed. It's a place where you can be known and know others, but you have to show up. Baptism is so much more than just meeting Christ in the waters, although that is an important part of our walk. That is a stake in the ground that says, from this day forward, this is where I'm headed. But you learn the story of your baptism as you go. And so we're going to reset the rhythms. As David announced earlier, there's going to be a podcast that's going to push what happens at Highland into your week. Every day you're going to hear a prayer or, or an idea or a story. There's going to be something for you. And we're going to create spiritual disciplines as a way of life. This Lent, we're going to begin thinking about how do we engage in these disciplines day to day and week to week. And it's, it's offered as an experiment for you, but kind of also as an expectation. You kind of got to move in your faith. You can't just sit around. The sacrament of Christ is to experience, the cross is to experience Christ's renown. Christ gave of himself for the sake of humanity. He became the suffering servant. And so, so will we. And so we're going to find different ways to serve our church and to serve our city and to serve our world. And this is all dependent on your gifts and your interests. It's what you care about and what you feel passionate about. When you hear something from the platform and you're like, yes, I need to be involved in that, then that's your chance to jump in. But you need to find a place to serve. I'm becoming more and more convinced in a post-Christian, cynical culture that we live in, that, that our service needs to be wildly sacrificial. There's too much noise and cynicism in our world. And so our response has to be wildly sacrificial. It takes a president saying, no, I'm going to stay in this city, live or die, to get noticed. I wonder what that looks like for us. The other side of it, it has to be habitually mundane. You know, that you, you go to your group week in and week out, and sometimes you feel connected to it, and sometimes you feel isolated from it, but you've got to go back. You've got to put those hours in. You've got to put those hours into your service, because that's where the relationship is formed and where the message of the gospel can be shared. The message of the gospel is always relational. There's no other way to do it. It has to be relational. So let me be absolutely clear about what I'm asking from you in the next three years. I want you to decide to commit your time and your talent and your treasure. We want to put you in a small group. We want to put you in some smaller gathering than this room. It's okay if you're here right now. It's good that you get to experience the table. It's good that you experience the word and our worship. But we want you to grow deeper with someone close to you. We want you to become the surrogate grandparents and spiritual aunts and uncles for those of us that are younger in this church. 
We want you to share your gifts and talents. Ephesians talks about all sorts of gifts, but there are even more that are in that list. And we want you to share those things with others. We want you to share your time. We want you to share your talent. And this last one's a little sticky, but I'm serious about it. We want you to share your treasure. We need you to give. If anything is going to happen here, it takes resources. And I don't want you to give out of a sense of guilt or obligation or, uh, I want you to give because you're excited about what God's doing in this world. I don't want you to give until it hurts. We want you to give until it feels good. All of this is tied back, not to the existence of the Highland Church of Christ, but to the encounter with God. Because the one thing that we know is that when you encounter God, you're restored, you're changed, and you're never going to be the same. Let's sing.